The following message, entitled, Resolved to Live for God's Glory, part six of the series, Joy Inexpressible, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 30th of December, 2012, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church, and I want to welcome you also. Thanks for coming. If this is your first Sunday, we are really honored to have you here. Grateful you would come this morning. And, and uh, I'll be back in the guest reception uh, afterwards, and I would love to uh, meet you if, you if you can stick around for a little while and have some coffee and snacks with us after. So it's in that door right there at the end. This morning we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, so please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. This will be probably our last message from Peter for a while since we're starting our new series in January on our core values. We've been in 1 Peter for a while. Now, uh, the, the, uh, the Mayans predicted the end of the world would occur on December 21st this year. And uh, we're still here. I read on December 20th, I saw one man posted on Facebook. He said, if the world is going to end tomorrow, then why am I going to the dentist today? Exactly. (laughs) If I knew the world was going to end tomorrow, there's a lot of things I would not do. Like, Shoveling snow. I mean, really, why bother? Just... Or shaving. You know, what's one day? Or, well, there's a lot of you guys don't shave anyway, but... Uh... Or, or watching what I eat. Hey, I would, be, I would be going straight for the bacon section. What else would I eat if I just had... Today was my last day. Um, if the world's going to end tomorrow, why... Why bother disciplining your children? Hey, let them have a temper tantrum. It's only one day. (laughs) Why bother cleaning the house? Why bother trying to save money? See, you know, the, 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 the Mayans, though, they got one thing right, though. The world will end someday. Jesus Himself promised to return someday to take His people to Himself and judge the world. And Jesus told several parables about living in the interval between His first and second coming. And He said we should live as if He could return at any time. We should watch and pray, He said. We shouldn't say to ourselves, our Master is gone for a long time, so let's party. Because Jesus said, He'll come when we least expect it. And that's Peter's burden in the text we're going to read this morning. And it is a fitting text as we finish out one year and head into the next because he's talking about a resolution that we should make. And the title of this message is Resolved to Live for God's Glory. Resolved to live for God's glory. Let's, let's begin 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, 
arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the Gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for rescuing us from a life that we used to live. Oh Lord, let this Word today inspire us and envision us and stir us up to live for Your glory and honor. Lord, we, we, we pray that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for Your glory. Please speak to us. Please open the eyes of our hearts to see wonderful things in Your Word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, Peter, Peter clearly wrote with the mindset that Jesus could return at any time. In verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Now this doesn't mean that Peter expected Jesus to return at any second, but it meant that all the great events of God's plan of redemption had taken place. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the only thing that remained and the only thing that still remains is for Jesus to return for His church. All of the great salvation, redemption events in God's plan have occurred. So Peter is saying, we, we, the only thing left is for us to look for Jesus to return. The end of all things is at hand. Or you could look at that phrase as saying, the goal of all things is at hand. The goal of Jesus coming back to be with His people. Having a people forever 
for Himself. In 2 Peter 3.9, Peter is addressing the question of Peter saying, well, where is His coming? Why hasn't He come back? And Peter says, the reason is, is because the Lord does not wish that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Jesus, the reason Jesus has not come back yet is because He's holding off so that more and more people might be spared from the destruction their sins deserve and be saved and repent and come to Him. And so Jesus is holding off. He has, he has a certain number of people that He is waiting to be saved. I mean, you could be one of them. You could be one of the reasons why Jesus has not returned because He's waiting for you to turn to Him. Now, if the end of all things was at hand in Peter's lifetime, how much closer is the end of all things now, 2,000 years later? Peter is concerned that his readers live lives that glorify God in the time that is left. So in verse 11, we see the whole goal of Peter's writing. He says, in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is what Jesus saves us for. To bring glory to God. If if we can keep that in our minds, that will guide us in so many situations. I was was talking to someone recently about marriage. And I said, one thing that really has helped me over the years, that God has really helped me in, in working through conflicts with, with Christy, my wife, is if I can remember to think this, if I can remember to say to myself, what would bring God the most glory right now? Not, how can I win this argument? How can I be right? How can I come out on top here? No, what would bring God the most glory right now? And in many cases, it's been, listen. <laughs> listen to your wife. Don't try to win. Don't think of yourself and your victory. Think of my glory. And if we can keep that in mind, that will guide us in so many situations in life, in school, in work, in, in our families. So Peter says, that's the goal here. That's the goal to, to, in the end of all things, in the time that's left. Let's live for the glory of God. So he begins by saying, the first major point he makes is that the time is past for living like unbelievers. He says the time is past for living like you used to live. And so in verse 1 he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh or in our bodies, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. Now he says, Jesus is our example and our model. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So he's saying this. Jesus was resolved and determined to obey 
God's will, even though it meant He would suffer. He had an unwavering commitment to do the will of God, to glorify God, even though it meant He would suffer. And He would be despised, betrayed, mocked, tortured, and crucified. And Peter says, arm yourselves. This is how you can arm yourself for life. This is how you need to prepare your mind. This is how the mindset you should have. I am resolved to obey God's will even though it will cost me. Even though I will suffer at times for doing God's will. We must say, Jesus, I am resolved and determined by Your grace. I am committed. I am all in. I am wholeheartedly going to devote myself to obeying You and following You no matter what the cost, no matter what I have to suffer, even if it costs me my life. Help me do this. Help me, Jesus. And this, we, we can't possibly do this on our own strength. But that's the mindset Jesus calls us to. And, and life is not easy for any Christian. Happy New Year. <laughs> you will face many trials as a believer. And if you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted in one way or another. We, we, are, not, we are not suffering like the, the, the North Korean Christians. We're not laboring in work camps because we believe in Jesus. But you'll suffer in other ways. It may be family members who misunderstand you. It might be people at work who don't like you because they know you're a Christian. Peter says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now this doesn't mean that when we suffer in this life, or when we're persecuted, that we have completely ceased from sinning and have achieved perfection. But it means that persecution is a sign that we have turned from sin and are following Jesus wholeheartedly. Because if we weren't, nobody would care. Nobody would bother. Nobody would harass us. But when we follow Jesus, first of all, Satan is not happy to lose us. And he, if he can't drag our soul down into hell for eternity, he will try to make us ineffective. He will try to tempt us and throw us off course. He will try to afflict us so that, so that we will not follow Jesus as wholeheartedly as Jesus wants us to. He will do anything He can to steal from God's glory. And if, if, if Satan himself is not doing it, Jesus has promised us and the Bible promises that following Him provokes the ill will at times, the animosity of unbelievers. Jesus said even family members at times will have animosity towards you. They'll think you've lost it. Your co-workers may call you the preacher. They might resent that you don't join in with them in the, in the dirty jokes in the, in the break room. One way or another, if you're following Jesus, eventually people will resent you for that. Now note that Peter says there's only two ways to live. 
There's only two ways. There's only two options He gives us. It's either for human passions or for the will of God. There are no other options. And so, if we're not living wholeheartedly, 100% for Jesus, then we're living for ourselves. That's the, that's the only options. There's no middle ground. And so this morning, it, I wouldn't want anybody to think, well, you know what? I'm just not really... You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a bad person, but I'm just not like... I can't be radical. I don't want to be a, a radical Christian. I, you know, I don't want to roll on the floor and bite somebody's ankle while we're singing these songs. You know, that, that's... We're not holy rollers here when we worship expressively. We're not kooks, but we are radical for Jesus. We want to be wholeheartedly following Jesus. We want to be all in. So, my appeal is this. Our own human passions won't satisfy us. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to be tempted to follow your own passions. I am. I, all the time, I'm tempted to, to do what I want to do. But what I have to remember, and what the devil does not want us to remember when he tempts us, and what our own desires, when they are sinful desires, what they don't want us to think about is that ultimately following our desires won't satisfy us. They do temporarily. I mean, no one would sin if it didn't feel good for a little bit. You know, nobody's gonna. You know, I, I am not even tempted to stick my finger in a wall socket because I know it's gonna hurt real bad. But I'm tempted to do things that I think are gonna make me feel really good. I'm tempted to do things that I think are gonna bring me pleasure, and I have to remember that ultimately, following my own human passions will not satisfy me. But ultimately, what will satisfy me is obeying God. And what's so funny is at the time when we're called to obey God, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that great. It doesn't seem like it's going to satisfy us. It doesn't seem like it's going to satisfy us to take our money and give it to somebody else. It doesn't seem like it's going to satisfy us to take my time and go do something to serve somebody else. That doesn't seem like it's going to satisfy me. It doesn't seem like it's going to satisfy me to go to my wife and ask forgiveness, to, to humble myself. That doesn't seem satisfying, but ultimately obeying Jesus, obeying the will of God, satisfies us. So Peter says, the time is past for living like that. Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles or unbelievers want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, not everybody in here was partying all the time when they got saved. This is just a, a, a slight list, a small list. G, Peter doesn't list every single sin that we were doing as unbelievers. It doesn't, some of us maybe weren't giving into orgies or sensuality, but we were slaves of our pride. 
We were slaves of our pride. We were slaves of our arrogance. We were just simply doing our own will and couldn't care less about God. We were living in unbelief, whatever it may be. But Peter says the, 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 the lesson for us, the truth for us, is that the time that is, is past for living like we used to live. We need to live differently now as believers. When Jesus saves us, this is the good news, He changes us. He begins this process of change by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us and begins to work in us, from within us. And He begins to change us and make us more and more like Christ. I love this. Because as a pastor, when I'm meeting with people, sometimes people are very downcast and discouraged because they just feel like they're not changing or they got such massive problems in their lives. And I love to say, Philippians 1.6 says this, I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus is changing us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we can try to get involved in this process of change. That's why we cooperate with what God is doing. That's why we put sin to death. That's why we begin to obey God because Jesus is changing us from within. And Peter says that's the way we need to live to glorify God. And he says unbelievers won't understand that when you change. And so in verse 4 he says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Unbelievers are just surprised. It's like we're weirdos to them. What, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going to tell your children that Santa Claus isn't real? That, what do you mean you're going to tell them you give them the presents? They'll, their whole childhood will be ruined. You're so weird. What do you mean you don't want to come out to the bar with me tonight? You, you were there with me two weeks ago. What are you talking about? What do you mean you're quitting the band because you don't want to play in this place? I had people say things like that to me. They think something weird has happened to you. you got religion. You've lost your mind. Something's wrong with you. They'll say, oh, you'll get over it. This is just a phase you're going through. And it says they'll malign you. They'll slander you. They'll mock you. My brother's a holy roller now. They'll call you preacher. Before I became a Christian, my parents started to attend these prayer meetings. And one evening at the dinner table, my mom and dad were having a conflict. And I maligned them. I said, oh, I can see that that prayer meeting is really helping you guys. See, unbelievers just look for stuff like that. Jesus was regularly maligned. His own brother said he'd lost his mind. Religious leaders said he had a demon. People lied about him. They said, this guy said he's going to tear down the temple in Jerusalem and rebuild it in three days. Well, Jesus never said that. But Peter says, don't forget, when you're maligned, those who persecute you will stand before God on Judgment Day. And so in verse 5 he says, but they will give account to Him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. 
He says, remember that. Remember when you're maligned. Don't strike back. Don't take revenge. Don't say something smart back. And he says, for this is why the Gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Now that's a hard verse to understand, but it essentially means this. The, the Gospel was preached even to those who are dead. These are people who had become Christians and then died. And he says, they were judged in the flesh the way people are. In other words, when they died, they were experiencing the aspect of God's judgment against sin. Sin brought death into the world. They died physically. He says, they died, though judged in the flesh the way people are, but they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And so he's saying, believers had the Gospel preached to them, They died, but they're alive to God. Remember that when you're maligned. Remember that. That they will answer before God and remember that you have eternal life and you will live with God in the Spirit in heaven forever. So Peter, the first thing he said is, now's the time. You've had enough time living life for yourself. Now, he says, now is the time to glorify God by your lives. And so his second major point is kind of the, the positive aspect of all this. The first point was quit doing this stuff. Quit living for your own passions. Now, he says, the positive side is live for God's glory. And he tells us four things to do. He says, lead self-controlled, prayerful lives. Love one another earnestly. Show cheerful hospitality to one another and use your gifts to serve one another. So he says the first thing to do, this, this God-glorifying life, is lead a self-controlled, prayerful life. And so in verse 7 he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So he's saying your prayers are very important. You've got you to have a life of prayer. You want to be praying all the time and you've got to stay sober to do that. You've got to stay sober-minded. You can't be giving yourself into dissipation because then you won't be able to pray and your prayer is so important to glorifying God. Jesus said in Luke 21, He says, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, different things can weigh down our hearts. Jesus said, dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. I... I don't know anyone who's a member of our church who is regularly giving in to dissipation, drunkenness, but isn't the cares of this life something we all have to deal with? And it says our hearts can be weighed down. But Jesus said, pray! Over and over, the New Testament says, pray, pray, pray. Paul says, pray without ceasing. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
Let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, Peter says, you've got to live a self-controlled life for the sake of your prayer. You've got to be praying. Prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is how we're going to make it. Prayer is how we're going to glorify God. I would encourage you to try to just take a, a time, even if it's a short time, every morning if you can, or at least every day, to pray regularly, to read your Bible and to pray, even if it's just a short time. And if you're not doing that right now, this would be a great time to just say, okay, every, every morning I'm going, to just, I'm going to read my Bible for a few minutes and pray. But I'd also encourage you to pray all through the day. Pray all through the day. Pray in every situation. Thank God all through the day. Ask Him for help all through the day. When you're in school, when you're taking a test, Jesus, please help me on this test. When you're facing a difficult situation at work, Jesus, show me what to say to this guy. When you're working with your children, Jesus, give me grace to... Be patient with my children. My, many of you know my dad who is 94. A couple weeks ago he, he got really sick. He got the flu. He fell down and got hurt really bad. Had to be in the hospital for a week. And, and when I uh, brought him home about a week ago, he, he's really uh, got to hand it to my dad. He wants to, to do things himself. And uh, that's probably why he's 94. I say, Dad, can I help you? No, I can, I can do this. I'll get it. Well, I was staying at his house for a few days because just his legs were weak and, and uh, I didn't want him to fall down and, and I just wanted to be right there. So I bought a, a baby monitor and I, I put, it, put one in his room and one in the other room where I was going to sleep. And uh, I heard my dad in there. He was, he was getting dressed for bed, and it was just hard for him. And I, I, I know he's not here this morning. He probably wouldn't want me to tell you this, but he's he's getting himself he's getting himself ready for bed. And I hear I hear in the monitor I hear I hear him saying, "Jesus, help me! Jesus, help me! Give me strength! Help me to do this, Lord!" And I just thought, man. I, I, that's my dad. Just that's the way to live. That's how my dad has done it for 94 years. He has just prayed all throughout the day. That's the way. That's the way we glorify God. That's the way we have the strength to do these things. Pray. I like the I like the fact that Peter puts that first. Pray. Love one another earnestly. The second thing he says is love one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now believe me, we can't do this without praying. Love one another earnestly. He says above all. Above all. Love one another earnestly. This is the most important thing to be doing in the short time while we're waiting for Jesus to return. Keep loving one another earnestly. Jesus, help me. Help me love this person. <laughs> he says, sincerely. 
This implies that we're together with other believers. There's no independent Christian who doesn't need other believers. We're living our lives together with other sinners who Jesus is changing and working in. And we're to love one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Now this doesn't mean that we try to cover up and hide serious sin. We don't deal with it. But it means we put up with one another's failures. Because we love each other. We overlook each other's faults. We bear with one another when we sin against each other because we love each other. Let me tell you something. You know what the church is? It's a bunch of sinners who Jesus puts together and says, now, love each other. Live this life out together. Do things together. Serve together. Serve each other. You know what a marriage is? God putting two sinners together. says, okay, love each other. Obviously, we need to pray. We need God's help. But we need to do this to glorify God. We need to overlook one another's faults. If I love someone, I will forgive them. I will ask God's help to love them. Now, that that doesn't mean, as I said, that we ignore serious sin. There is a place for going to someone in, in love and confronting them. But there's so much. I mean, do you... If we took time to to confront one another about every single sin we do, that's all we'd be doing all day long. (laughs) That would be my wife's full-time job. If If she confronted me about every one of my weaknesses and sin. But she overlooks so much. Sometimes Christy will say, Mark, you're you're a really good husband. I I say, Are you who are you talking to? She just overlooks so much. I'm aware of how many failures I have. So love one another earnestly. Set the third thing is show cheerful hospitality to one another. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We tend to think of hospitality as having somebody over for dinner, which it is. But back then, hospitality meant taking in believers who were traveling for the sake of the Gospel and letting them stay in your home while they were ministering in your town. Because inns were dangerous places back then. And so, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Take people into your home. Let them stay there and don't grumble. And you'd think, well, Man, if somebody opens up your home, you're just happy, you're cheerful. Well, if you've ever had relatives stay with you for a long period of time, or you, you know, if you've opened up your home to a friend or whatever for a period of time, you can fall into grumbling. You can say, ah, I have to do this again. Ah, I have to show them everything. I told you where that was. <laughs> I'll get you a towel. That's okay. Ah, they left a towel on the floor again. Whatever. It's, it's easy to grumble when we serve others. I know because I've done it so many times. 
God's convicted me so many times. So what do I do? I have to go back. And I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody that I've shown hospitality to. If you've, if you've been over to my house recently, I'm not thinking of you. <laughs> See, mean me? I asked for a towel. What I have to do on a regular basis... Because I'm in a family, so I, I'm required to serve. I, you know, you just, that's part of it. But because I'm so selfish, I have to go back to the first step Peter said. I have to keep praying. I have to say, Jesus, please help me serve my wife cheerfully. Jesus, please help me serve with a glad heart. Jesus, please help me do this without grumbling. Jesus, please give me grace. I want to be a cheerful servant. That's what we need. God's grace. Do you serve your roommates with gladness? If not, pray. Do you serve your dad and mom with gladness? I love it that there are teenagers here. When your dad and mom ask you to clean up your room, do you serve with gladness? Maybe you need to pray. Say, Jesus, help me be cheerful. Help me obey my parents cheerfully. And then, the, 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 then Peter says, the next thing is, use your gifts to serve one another. This is the last thing he says. Use our gifts to serve one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First of all, Peter says, each has received a gift. Every single one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ, has a gift. Trevor, you have a gift. God has given you a gift. I don't know what it is yet, but He's given you a gift to serve Him with. You know that? You may know what it is. It might be the gift of humor. God has given every single believer a gift. Don't think, well, you know what, I, I can't preach. I, I, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I guess I'm not gift. No. You have a gift. You may say, well, I don't know what it is. How do I find out what my gift is? Do I take a gift survey? No. Just start serving wherever you can and God will make that gift known to you. You'll find out. You'll be drawn to certain things. Some of you have a gift of encouraging others. Some of you have a gift of helps. Some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of service. But whatever it is, I want everyone to know you have a gift and God expects you and will make you useful. And He has given you a gift to bless other people. It's not just for yourself. He's given you a gift. And so he says, each one, use it to serve one another. And then Peter divides the spiritual gifts into two broad areas. He says, speaking and serving. 
And there are many, many, many gifts. But speaking would include preaching, teaching, prophecy, counseling, speaking gifts. Serving covers all the other areas of using spiritual gifts. Mercy, administration, giving, helps, and all kinds of other gifts. So Peter says if you have a gift of speaking, use it as one who would speak the oracles of God or the truth of God, the sayings of God. Use If you have some kind of gift to teach or whatever or speak, use that to encourage others. And he says, whoever serves then, whoever has the gift of serving as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. So he's saying, some of you have speaking gifts, some of you have serving gifts, but whatever you do, do it in God's strength. You may be really good at administration. Pray. Go back to that first thing. Pray. Don't just say, well, I'm good at this. I can just do this without God's help. Pray. You may be really gifted in showing mercy. When people are suffering, your heart goes out to them and you want to do something to help them. Well, let me tell you something. You need to pray because you'll fall into grumbling eventually if you don't pray. You'll be doing your gifts of mercy, but you'll be grumbling about it. They don't appreciate me. Whatever. But use your gifts. Use your gifts. And and here is the goal. Here is the goal of all this. Here is the goal of turning away from sin and living wholeheartedly for God. Here is the goal of loving one another earnestly. Here's the goal of showing hospitality. Here's the goal of using our gifts in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's why we do these things. That's why we pray. That's why we seek God for His help so that we can give Him glory. That's the goal of our church. It's to glorify God through Jesus Christ. That's why we encourage you in all that we encourage you in. Not so that we can have a great church. Not so that people will like us. Not so that people will admire us. For the glory of God. That's why we forgive one another. That's why we teach and preach. That's why we use our gifts. That's why we help one another move and bring meals to people and give money to people and help people who are sick and be ushers and serve in the coffee bar and children's ministry. That's why we do all this. Serve coffee for the glory of God. (laughs) Serve in children's ministry for the glory of God. That's what it's all about. I want to finish with Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Let's stand and let's have the worship team come up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for this church. Thank You for everyone You have brought here.
today. Thank You for Your Word. We want to have the mindset of Jesus, Father, and we are weak, but we want to tell You that we want to be resolved. We resolve to follow You, Lord, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, even if we have to suffer. And we trust that You would give us the grace to do that. Lord, help us to glorify You. Help us to use our gifts to glorify You. Help us to love one another earnestly to glorify You. Help us, Lord, as a church and as individuals to glorify You. And we thank You that You will. In Jesus' name, Amen.